Hello and welcome to another edition of We Welcome Your Teams, a podcast about one of the most unique jobs in sport, football stadium announcers. He said, although Billy was proposing to the love of his life through his jewellery, Billy's wife has been on to me this morning and isn't very happy. I'm dying to be immortalised in FIFA. He was like, read his name out then as if he's coming on as a substitute. Oh, yeah, it is you. <laughs> so I've gone absolutely massive for this announcement. And then to see it get chalked off by VAR. And the police said, stop this now. The roof of the North Bank was swaying. He said, it's not just getting beat. But they played Captain Bloody Pugwash as well. <laughs> yes, this podcast is all about the people who stand on the sidelines, clipboard in one hand, a microphone in the other, and address the crowd at every game. My name is Rich Hurst, and for the last few years, I've been announced at the Hawthorns, West Bromwich Albion. And you know what? For your average football fan, we get a unique kind of access to your beloved clubs. And we've certainly got stories to tell about the players, managers who we've met down the years. So if you've ever noticed those people who announced the goal scorers and the added minutes and wondered how they get that job, and you want to know what it feels like when it all goes wrong in front of thousands of people, you are in the right place. Just about ready to start another episode, but before we do, like any good stadium announcer does, I'm off to read, read and reread the Remembrance Day announcements so I don't get them wrong. again and welcome to We Welcome Your Teams. Uh, it's Rich here and looking forward to bringing you today's chat, which is with someone who I guess is at the top of the announcing game. Chris Temple at Wembley is our guest, uh, someone we had tried to get on earlier in the summer, but he was a little bit busy. You can understand why. Loads about that to come. Um, and as the pod is out in November, uh, I just want to have a big shout out to all announcers who have at some point uh, their remembrance service that they do before kickoff it's such a big moment when uh, all the ears and sometimes the eyes if the game's televised are on you um, it's probably one of the announcer's biggest moments of the calendar um, and because of everything surrounding it and all the somber feelings around it it's um really important that we nail it and we know that every uh, announcer that we've spoken to about it on the pod so far always agrees just how much of a big moment it really is that one so good luck everybody uh, i hope your bugle player doesn't let you down and your silence is as always impeccably observed should we get to the pod then i think we should it's me and alan keegan voice of man united chatting about being the voice of wembley with chris temple Chris Temple, who is stadium announcer at Wembley. Welcome to We Welcome Your Teams. How are you? I'm very good, and it is a delight to join you both. Eventually, as you say, it's been uh, it's been a bit of a, a battle to get on. Uh, we were we were locked down over the summer. We weren't even allowed to come on and do things because of our part of the Euros role. But uh, it's great to finally be here with you guys. So you know this this is now you know I mean we've talked to our, a lot of our other announcers about you know that moment that they you know if their team ever gets to Wembley, obviously. You know, a few more times with Mr. Keegan than those of us who've been waiting for West Brom to do it for the last few years. Um, 
But, you know, we, we, we all see, you know, for us, you know, getting to Wembley to do our little five, ten minute slot that each announcer for the clubs gets to do at cup finals and things is, is a bit of a pinnacle. So you're there all the time, which, you know, so that just shapes this whole thing, doesn't it, Al? Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible achievement. I mean, for any state of announcer, as you say, Rich, just to, to go to Wembley and whether it's a cup final or whatever, it's just great to be part of the day and part of the celebrations, hopefully. But to be the main announcer, it must must be great, Chris. And how, how did it all come around? How did What's that journey for Chris to make himself... The announcer at Wembley. Were, were, How did that happen? Were, were there like qualifying rounds, preliminary qualifying <laughs> rounds and everything? <laughs> Do you know what? One thing I've heard so much from listening to your pod and, and to be honest, working in, in the media, Rich, and Alan, like you do as well, there is so much right place, right time about this, the whole business. Um, yes, you can go through auditions, you can know the right people, but sometimes a door just opens a jar and it falls right for you. And to be honest with you, I mean, I've been doing announcing in various sports since about 2006, but I've actually only been a football announcer since I started doing Wembley um, because I don't have a club that I've ever worked for. So I, again, I'm slightly unconventional in that obviously for you guys, West Brom and Man United and every other announcer that's been on this and listening to this has a club that they've, they've supported, they've watched from the terraces and they've graduated to be the announcer and, it, and it's fantastic. So for me, it is slightly different in that I haven't had a club. Um, obviously, I support a club, but I've never worked for them. Uh, um, and therefore, you know, we did actually go through a sort of a little bit of a trial process. It was the summer of 2018 um, and Wembley were just looking to move things around a little bit and, and for one or two reasons, make a couple of changes. And they tried a few different people out, uh, a few different combinations because they use um, a, a big screen presenter and an announcer together, basically. Uh, and myself and Emma Saunders, um, we had a go in the, the summer of 2018 before, just before England went to the World Cup, actually, in Russia. The Their last game was against Nigeria and that was our first game. Um, and then we didn't do the next couple of games. They were trying other people. And then it came back round and, and obviously we did okay because here we are three years on and we're still the, still the pair in, in, the, in the process or in the, in the role. So, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. And we you know, just happened to be there. Sort of we knew, we did know of a couple of people in the production company who were involved in recruiting um, and therefore the door was open the jar for us and we both sort of charged through it, if you like. God, that's, that's something to be there, isn't it? Not with, you know, I'm not saying without prior experience, but I suppose without that, that you know, that that initial, you know, body of experience that comes with doing the game. So, how did that affect your first game? What was that like? But it's interesting because obviously, you know, my my first sport is football, hundred percent. You know, it's the sport I've always played. I've always watched um but i think you know no specific football experience probably wasn't a big issue because i knew the game you know i know the game i know i've listened to announcers in football you know listen to commentators i'm a commentator myself you know i've done done football commentary since 2002 down here on the south coast rich your former stomping ground um and it you know i guess my experience in other sports really helps you know having done as i say i've probably done announcing since about 2006 in in various sports um, by the time I did started to do Wembley, I'd done two Olympics and Paralympics, uh, a Rugby World Cup, a couple of Cricket World Cups. Um, so in terms of what, what it demands of you and being in a big arena, uh, working to a high sort of production level in terms of, you know, the, the production that's going on in your ear and having to hit 
live broadcast timings and all those things, a lot of those kind of elements of it, you have experienced before. So I guess it was just translating it into a different sport. And if you'd asked me to, to do it in, let's just say, volleyball, the first sport I can pick off the top of my head that I don't know at all, then a lot of that stuff would have been useful. But actually, when you're trying to put it into a sport you don't know, um, there's that extra challenge. And that probably would be you know in your mind that, am I saying the right things here? Is this the lingo? Whereas, well, I think when you're translating it into football, it probably wasn't a difficult transition. But to say to say that your first football stadium announcing gig is Wembley, um, yeah, that, when you actually say it, I haven't really thought about it too much like that. But now you say it, that does sound preposterous, doesn't it? So what was the, what was the first game then you did? So it was Nigeria, England, Nigeria, two one win um, in a friendly, the last friendly, sort of sending them off to the World Cup, actually, if you like. Um, my first England goal scorer was Gary Cahill, and he scored after seven minutes. So I didn't have a lot of time to, you know, get into the groove of the game and and work out how I was going to do a goal announcement. It was pretty much on me straight away. Wow, and and that's interesting. You just say about working out how to do it because obviously, you know, there's. It's fairly standard for us what we do, but I suppose in different places we have different techniques of doing it. So did you have an idea in your head about how you were going to, if it's, you know, what what do you have a lingo? Is there a certain phrase you say before the goal scorer? Is it any different now, you know? I have tweaked it actually. You know, it's, it's so the beauty of this podcast is that we can talk in such sort of nuances and people sort of understand the kind of things you're talking about. Whereas if you're talking about generally being a stadium announcer, some of the things you guys go into, you know, which are really interesting for all of us, you know, people that would just pass people by and they go, what, what are they talking about? <laughs> so yeah, I have, I have tweaked the goal announcement um, from my first, I actually, I, I do you know what, as part of preparing for this, I actually looked back on YouTube and tried to hear in the background to hear if my goal announcement had made the highlights, which it hadn't. Cause I was just interested to hear what, I actually said um but I remember the producer saying to me give it a bit more um in terms of I probably had gone I probably under undersold the first goal rather than went too much which I think is probably maybe a lot of people when they're warming up into it you probably maybe naturally do um so yeah I think these days it's simply goal scorer for England number nine Rich Hurst which is as as I you know I mean Rich is dreaming now Rich is like oh this this is this is the one uh it just I, I like to keep it relatively short and concise and and sort of the the impact from it um I don't think you need to say any more than that personally um so that that would be our, our England goal scorer announcement the issue at Wembley of course not I say issue is that every single game sometimes demands differently of you because if you're England if you're the England announcer for Wembley you're home biased in most other games that are cup finals or playoffs you're 50 50 so it you you are even though you're announcing in the same stadium doing the same role with the same microphone from usually the same seat every single time actually can be completely different so you do have to manage you know whether you're a 50-50 or whether you're home bias and actually in the Euros it was an added complication because it was England but I still had to be 50-50 because I was working for UEFA yeah so so Wembley was so technically you were a neutral announcer even though you're you know an England fan at Wembley watching England in you know the final of the European Championship yeah, that was one thing they were very strong on before the game. I mean, there was one announcer in every country. Um, obviously, 12 different nations uh, ended up staging it. And one of the things they were, it was actually a question that I asked in the sort of pre-match briefing was, you know, how are we treated this? We're, if I'm the England announcer, I'm English and we're in England. Am I pro-England? And they were like, absolutely not. Um, which when you think about it, I suppose in any tournament, you know, wherever it is, you wouldn't be biased towards one team or the other. Having heard some of the other announcements around Europe, 
I'm not sure how even-handed some of them were, uh, I have to say. Uh, I, I, I don't want to mention any names or any specific grounds, but there's one quite close to home where I heard one of the, the, a, goal, a goal for each team. And they didn't sound massively the same, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I did my best. and <laughs> They can be. You know, it is... Yeah. <laughs> It is, um, it is one of those. And of course, you know, the, the biggest challenge was obviously the final when everybody, you know, just left. Everyone was just deflated at the end. And you've got to be the one, uh, you know, as you guys have experienced in, in various matches yourselves at your stadiums, you've got to be the one who's got to, for, that, for those few seconds, whatever is demanded of you at that time, you've got to be the one who's pr- producing it at the same level, at the same tone, the right tone. Um, so, yeah, congratulations, Italy. Wasn't my favourite phrase, but you had to, it was only, I had to get out a couple of lines and then I just slept off with my chin on the floor at everybody else. Yeah. What about we? We haven't covered that too much, Al, have we? I'm just thinking about times when you know we've had to come on in in the the, the nasty moments. You know, hey, again, you know, depending on which club you're at, you know, we've had various different levels of them. But have you, have you, have, Al, have you had a moment where you've you know you felt I really don't want to do this, but I'm going to have to. Yeah, very quick one, and uh, you'll both appreciate this, and any of the other stadium announcers who are listening will as well, because. This was one of the worst moments of my life as a stadium announcer because when the old Wembley was being rebuilt into the new Wembley where you now work, Chris, um, they played a lot of semi-finals, etc. at Old Trafford. Obviously, they played a lot of the finals at the Millennium. I don't know if you guys can remember that. But anyway, uh, they played a semi-final at Old Trafford and it was... I should remember who the other team were, but it was Liverpool versus, I'm almost certain, Sunderland and they had me as the announcer so you can imagine and it was 50 50 the stadium you know one half which if some of you know old chafford they, they, they didn't put the liverpool fans what we would call in the stratford end so they had the the liverpool fans in the east stand and they had the sunderland fans if, it, if it, i'm pretty certain it was the sunderland fans in the stratford end so it's all fine you know the game's going okay and as you know behind the scenes this this is being organized by the fa so they've taken over the stadium for the day like uefa take over the stadium on a champions league game so it's nothing to do with old trafford it's purely uh, UEFA running it or in this case the FA so we've got certain instructions and obviously every team has a song that they play don't they and you know what's coming <laughs> you know what's coming so Liverpool win and at the end I've got to say congratulations to the winners of the semi-final who are attending Wembley in the final of the FA Cup whatever year it is and then bang You'll never walk alone gets played at Old Trafford. Oh, it, honestly, it was one of the most, from a football point of view, you know, it just was my absolute worst nightmare. But then the thing is, you can't defend it because everyone thinks it's me that's played it. You know, like, no one, they don't, believe, they don't understand there's a sound crew behind you and there's, there's people pressing buttons and playing music. I don't have anything to do with that. All I do speaking to the microphone but i'm getting absolutely hammered for it you know because people think it's me and i've got i've even got the stewards looking at me thinking (laughs) what are you doing playing this you know so um i I think that ties into that sort of category that chris is on about there that was a bad moment at old trafford and it's i think it's the one and only time you'll never walk alone has ever been played there hopefully hopefully um well, safe to say, Chris, I'm guessing that was probably one of the, the, the worst moments, you know, you've had to be there for. So let, let, let's flip it then. And, you know, you know, a few of us have probably imagined a few of the answers, but go on, give us, give us some of the best moments you've been the announcer at Wembley for then. 
Well, I mean, conversely, also the same game. I mean, does that make any sense that, that it's the best and the worst moment? Because, you know, all the build up to that, the game, um, you know, everything that goes with it, you know, even going in for a rehearsal for the final two days before. Um, obviously, I, I knew actually I was doing the final well over a year in advance um, because it didn't matter if England got there or not. Um, once the decision was made that there was only going to be one one announcer um, at the Euros, and just for context, at, at the 2016 Euros in France, there was at least three of us in every stadium. Um, they had a, a French sort of local speaker, so I guess the equivalent of me at Wembley, and then each team had sort of their own their own announcer, so someone from their their country. Um, I think I deputised as the Ireland announcer on at least one occasion. I think I was Welsh for one game as well. It was the the classic, right? You you speak English, you sound sort of British, so we'll get you in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think the Irish the Irish fans were convinced. Although some of the people that have played for Ireland in the past, um, maybe I did qualify. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's one of those where you're you know so so you're getting the realization that actually it's only me. This is me. I, I'm the only person who is going to be lucky enough to be the announcer at the European Championship final here. Um, and I did feel, I felt a bit of heat actually, because as soon as England got there, I thought, blimey, you know, there are quite a lot of people watching this. Um, and all of those moments that the ones that you want to nail, which are, you know, you, you want to nail the team reads, of course you do. But, and those kind of things uh, in the stadium at the time, they don't really make the television. They don't really make the broadcast so much, but all the bits that do make the broadcast, you know, welcoming the teams out, announcing the national anthems, um, anything else that needs to be read, there's there was a bit of a UEFA sort of um, uh, racism announcement and things, all the kind of things that, you know, you've got to get word for word right when the stadium is full. And all of those bits were the bits that, you know, you're thinking, right, you've got to absolutely get this right. And then, to be honest with you, when Luke Shaw scores after two minutes, you're like, goodness me, this is this could be one of the, you know, the best things I've ever been involved with. It probably will be. Um and all the build-up to it. And actually, I, I got a bit emotional as well because my dad was from Wembley. My, my dad died when I was a teenager and he, he actually lived less than a stone's throw from Wembley. I could see the arch from outside his house. And I went and visited his house on the morning of the uh, on the morning of the game just to take myself away from it because it was all getting a bit silly around the ground. And just to sort of, I guess, um, quantify the sort of, I guess the achievement, it sounds a bit a bit corny, really, but the achievement of of what I was, you know, about to do later that day. So yeah, for for me it's the biggest occasion I've ever announced at. Um the end result was the worst feeling ever, as you can imagine. Um, but everything that went with it, and actually, to be honest with you, for a normal announcer, we got a sort of a 10-minute break because they had that amazing show before the game, which I wasn't involved in at all, um, with the massive giant trophy in the middle of the pitch and the dancers all, all coming um, dancing around the pitch. So it actually gave you a moment to gather your breath. So sort of 7.42 to 7.52 ahead of an 8 o'clock kickoff, I didn't do anything, um, which was quite nice, really, because in the advance of the Euros, they had a two-and-a-half-hour pre-show. Um, to an empty stadium, and it was all on the big screen. I was in vision as well as as being the announcer, um, so it was a it was quite a lot to carry actually for for eight games, two and a half hour pre show plus all the in match announcements. Um, so yeah, by the time I got to sort of that time, seven forty two when the the show started, I was ready for a, just to take stock and and say right, okay, get yourself back together. And our position for the Euros, I know this is something that might be later on, Rich, but the view from the seat, our position for the Euros was by the corner flag at pitch level behind the advertising boards, sort of one of those tunnels that comes into the corner of the stadium. We were basically sat under the cover of one of those. So it was an unbelievably bad view. What you can see on the TV pictures, if you watch the the video back of Luke Shaw, is me when the goal goes in. I'm in the camera shot pretty much every time the ball goes over there. Um, But you can see my reaction when the goal goes in, which is 
I'm, I'm reaching for my earpiece. I'm trying to hear what the producer said. I'm not celebrating the goal because you're in that moment. There's, you know, the sound guy next to me is jumping around. I'm trying to hear what they're saying in the in the truck underneath the stadium. Which I'm trying to get myself ready. What happens when there's a goal? Um, so, you know, it all passed by in such a, such a, a blur, really, to be honest with you. Um, but... I've answered your question in a very long-winded way. So that would be that would be the best um, as well as the worst. And away from the Euros, I would probably say my first cup final, um, which was, I'm sorry, Al, Man City pumping Watford 6-0 um, at Wembley, um, which, you know, that was, ironically, I did, I've done three cup finals, one with a full stadium, one with an empty stadium, and one with sort of a third full stadium. So I haven't had to replicate, I haven't had a chance to replicate that sort of cup final feeling again since Manchester City beat Watford. And even that was a bit of a strange day because it was so one-sided that you also had to start changing your approach a little bit. When I started announcing the City fifth and sixth goals, you're thinking, do I need to be announcing these with quite as much gusto as I did the first three or four? It feels a bit harsh on the Watford fans who were loving their loving their day anyway um, to be in the cup final. So yeah, my first cup final, abide with me, all of that kind of stuff, introducing that, introducing Prince William for the, the pre-match handshakes. Uh, again, roll out all the cliches about watching the cup final since being a young boy and, and getting the chance to be the announcer would, would be my best domestic uh, day, definitely. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing there. People don't realise that we make those calls, don't we, when it comes to like you know the drubbings, when it comes to the fifth or the the sixth goal, you know, or nine as it is in Alan's case sometimes. Uh, <laughs> we, we we have to make those calls though, don't we? You know, we have to decide. You know, the first, second, and third will do that, but we do. You know, that's that's about reading the room, isn't it? That's I suppose something we all have that experience of. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And, you know, of course you can go full throttle. And if it had been a home game, I wouldn't have expected the home announcer, that if it was the City announcer at the Etihad, I wouldn't have expected, you know, Alex or whatever to, to, to ease off and, and not hammer it home because that's what you're there for. Ultimately, you're there as your club. But when you're a neutral announcer in a cup final and the game's won and, you know, we all knew what which way it was going, um, I just I just didn't think I needed to go quite as big. And, I, you know, again, it was... We never get a chance to listen back so much, do we? That's one of the things in in our kind of industry. You might hear a bit. You might get someone to record one of your announcements. You might hear it in the background of something else. But actually, you know, listening to exactly what we said and how we changed our announcements, you really need somebody to record that properly um, to to give you the chance to to look back. And anyone listening who's you know who's thinking about being an announcer in the future or trying to get involved, you know, getting people to record you getting recorded somehow so you can listen back and you can feedback on yourself and get other people to listen to it you know there's no better way to to get better really God, I don't, well, you're right. I, it, it just takes me back to the days of snoop sessions in local radio, which I used to absolutely <laughs> dread. It was just a, it yeah, was, there's something a bit sort of you know masochistic about this sort of listening back to you be terrible, isn't it? You know, back in the day, I, I hate listening back to anything I did in my early radio commentary oh. days because I've been doing it nearly 20 years now, and for some reason, my voice back then was like I was all lads, lads, lads for some reason doing the commentary. I, I'm not sure why. <laughs> oh, you know, you know when you're working at Wembley, Chris, and I'm, I mean, obviously, I've done it a few times myself with regards to finals, etc. How tight and rigid is it? You know, like you were saying there about UEFA's involvement and the FA. I mean, from the experience I had, it was very, very scripted and very, very much timed to the screens, to the commercial breaks, to the walk-ons, to these performances, as you say. Is it still like that? It is. Uh, let me start with the, the the games that you'll have done out, so the cup finals and the England games. Um, they are they are tight, but there is also wriggle room and there is flexibility. Obviously, the key moments to hit are the teams walking out because at Wembley you have things like national anthems, so you always get that few minutes extra 
they'll walk out at sort of 53 instead of 55 or whatever to factor in national anthems. And obviously you've always got to hit that with TV. So that's the bit they get a bit jumpy about, you know, as you're closing in on kickoff, that's the timings they need to hit because of course they've got people with banners waiting to unfurl them and, and everything's got to be coordinated with um, with those times. And, you know, pre-match shows are getting jazzier and jazzier. So there's always more happening. There's people on the roof, there's lights going off. There's, you know, at Wembley the other day for the England-Hungary game, we had this amazing light show before kickoff. So all of those timings when you get into the last 15 minutes it starts to get a bit not edgy but you know the producer is on it they are on it with the stopwatch everything's got to be spot on um and actually to that end we don't tend to have anything that's um i guess has potential to go over that much so you we don't do interviews and things or anything like that in that last 15 minutes because they're the bits where you might need you might run 30 seconds over and they just don't have 30 seconds no. at that time so anything like that is much earlier in the piece um so i would say it's, it's pretty it's pretty rigid um you know, it's all done with a, you know, the broadcast truck is underneath the stand at Wembley. So you're being directed on the screen by a guy who's actually outside the stadium uh, or, you know, outside the stadium bowl, as it were. Um, you, you, you Usually she's been got a floor manager with you and you're on the big screen as well. Um, with Emma and myself, there's two of us. So we sort of share the work in terms of one of us will do one team read, one of us will do the other. Emma normally does the away country, which is quite handy. Um, but at the minute, unfortunately, due to the, we're doing it slightly different at the moment because of pitch side numbers. As I've heard you uh, talking about, Rich, with the red zone and things. Yeah, so yeah. we only have one of us pitch side. So I'm actually up in the stand at the moment. So I've ended up doing all the, all the team reads. But um, so two of us on the big screen um, and then the, the sort of hour and a half, we're about an hour and a half pre-show, I would say, from doing England Legends and, you know, whoever it might be. And as you said earlier, Rich, if it's a cup final, the announcer segment for that club as well, that that five or ten minutes um, is, is, you know, sort of in that final hour before kickoff as well as the, the stadium's filling up. So it's quite enjoyable. They do give you a bit of freedom. Um, but the contrast with that is UEFA for the Euros. Um, they basically produced this two and a half hour pre-show, which is effectively a television program on a big screen in a stadium, which, and I'm not speaking out of turn here, it doesn't work really, to be honest with you, because it's not designed for that. TV programs are, are unique. They're not designed in that way to be on a screen in a stadium. Yes, you can have a presenter on a screen in a stadium, but actually the, the, there was so much pre-recorded video content that it's just too much for fans to sit and watch up the screen the whole time. It's you know on a tiny little screen in a stadium as well. It's it's hard to watch. It's hard to hear sometimes. Um, so and, and fans aren't always wanting to sit and look at a screen for two hours before the game. They want to take in the around the surround they want to look down pitch side see if they can see anybody they you know they like so I get it because um, it, it always amazes me um, particularly listening to you there because I feel exactly the same when Soccer Aid comes to Old Trafford um, because it's a TV show and the football is secondary I'm not saying it's secondary what you're saying there about UA for or whatever but for Soccer Aid it is a TV show and what they always want, and it always it always amuses me, and I don't think I'm talking out of term here either, but they always want it to go to a draw and the the, the thrill of a you know penalty shootout at the end and the producer and the floor manager, they're absolutely loving it and they get me on the pitch and you know, penalty number one taken by, you know, whoever it might be, Robbie Williams, you know, and all the rest <laughs> of it. And it and it's like they love all that and it's just purely for T V. So I, I do get it. I know exactly what you mean. You know, it's it's like it, it it's this square peg in a round hole sometimes. 
Yeah, and it's that it's it's also the other thing is that the lack of flexibility, which is what I was going to say, is that um, it was so tight that if you got and it was basically they produced the same script and the same program for all twelve cities. So same as I mentioned earlier on, and of course the problem with that is that things that work in London don't work in Budapest and don't work in Baku and things that work in Rome don't work in, you know, somewhere else. So it's great having the same, the same program and they did it to keep it centralized. But the problem is they were trying things in the crowd, like the classic, you know, bongo cams and all these other things. They don't really work that well in, in English stadiums. I mean, particularly with football fans, they might do in other sports, rugby and stuff, but with football fans, I don't find they work that well. Yeah. I don't know what your experience of those things is. So it, from that point of view, it was a bit difficult and, and you had to hit everything. Everything was read off a script. So it meant you're having to look down at your clipboard all the time, which if you're doing stuff in vision, you don't really want to be doing too much. And if you said it, I actually got a couple of announcements where I, I reworded it because it wasn't written very well in English. It had been written by somebody that didn't have English as a first language. And you have suddenly quality control in your ear saying you didn't, you didn't get that announcement right. So that's how tight it was in the early stages. They did loosen up a little bit towards the end, but it was so sort of, and they're worried about commercial rights and things like that. So the, the lack of flexibility in the UEFA program was a little bit frustrating because as you know rich you mentioned reading the room reading the stadium that flexibility to maybe just change things up a little bit if you feel it's right um just wasn't there really mm, mm. interesting that in in amongst all that pressure and that extreme quality control have you ever dropped a clanger then uh it's a, it's one i was thinking about in advance of this and almost saying no i've never dropped a clanger i was like, i can't say that because you know everyone's everyone's definitely dropped a clanger i think you have to have that that trust in your team don't you because you know again you've spoken about in previous pods about the view you have sometimes and trying to get subs from a terrible angle um and things like that or trying to sometimes get goal scorers when there's been a scramble and you don't know who's got the last touch but you've got to say something so you've got to get the announcement out at some point um so I have, we have a really good team at Wembley in terms of the guys have done it for years. Um, and actually, the other day, they, they sort of put the, the goal scorer of the, the Hungarian penalty straight to the screen for the goal announcement, goal scorer for Hungary, number two of Rich Hurst. We hadn't checked it with each other beforehand. And I just I went back on the comms and just said, you know, normally we would just make sure we're all on the same page before we actually go to the screen or the, the announcement, but saying who it is. So that was one that I don't know what, what it was just a, one of those things at the time, but, and it was a penalty. So if we got that wrong, you'd be worried, but it's as a comfort blanket, I always want to hear somebody else yeah. say yeah. in my ear, what I'm thinking. I don't want to be the one who to Wembley makes a wrong call. So maybe that's helped me maybe not make so many clangers. Um, yeah, probably in cricket, I would say, you know, I know this is about football, but in cricket, I would say things like getting the wrong batsman coming out, that happens um, because, again, sometimes you're at the wrong end of the stadium, you can't see the shirt number, people in, in batting helmets and with all their gear look the same from a long way away, and someone might tell you, and, you know, we do get sold down the river as well. We make our own mistakes, but I'm sure you've both been sold down the river by some bad information in your uh, in your career, and I'm sure people listening have as well, where someone's told you it's definitely Rich Hurst, it's definitely Rich Hurst, and you go... Whoever it is, Rich Hurst, and it turns out to be Alan Keegan. And once you've said it, as you know, you can't call it back. You can't edit it, and everybody will blame you. It doesn't matter where the information's come from. It's the announcer's fault. Once once we utter the words, that's it. It's in in stone, isn't it? Yeah. I I was actually at a game a couple of weeks ago, and again, I won't say who, and I won't say the teams involved, but um, there was quite a major goal scorer clanger. Um, And it came down, I think it came down to... it's difficult to say why it was such a major. It was two players that, let's just say, don't look anything like each other. Um, and it came down, I think, to shirt numbers. 
And it's quite a big, it's, it's a big bugbear of mine that some of the shirt numbers these days, and Rich, I've got, I'm going to have to pull West Brom up here, uh, yeah. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. Because West Brom's, yeah. I, I mean, luckily you know the players, but goodness me, anybody seeing West Brom on, a, on an occasional basis, um, it's a nightmare. I cover Bournemouth quite a bit, and they've got a, a new green kit with black numbers. And then when the players start to get sweaty, the numbers just basically disappear into a pool of sweat. You can't see anything. Uh, Stoke, I was at Stoke recently. Pointless, just absolutely pointless. <laughs> so it is honestly, it's a huge bugbear of mine having shirt numbers that you can't read. Yeah, that, that's shocking. Some kit, you know, the, the kits go bonkers for all sorts of different designs, and then it's almost as if someone went, "Are we going to be able to see the number on the back of that shirt?" Well, too late. We've designed it and printed it now, so it's got to. <laughs> I don't think they ever think that. No, it no. doesn't happen. You're right. It doesn't happen. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, it's back to more with our guests shortly. But first, it's time to take you to the world of shoot music and sport playlists. Music provided for stadiums up and down the country in all sorts of sports, but also you'll find them on TV, on radio, in all sorts of places, providing great tunes for great sporting occasions. I saw them tweeting only the other day about some of the tunes that have popped up on Soccer AM at the weekend. At Sport Playlist is the place to find them. Uh, on this pod, we take some of the new releases that they ping out to all of the DJs in stadiums across the country and give you a little rundown for three which we think could make it onto your stadium playlist. First one up is this from Sam Fender. It's called Get You Down. Sam is someone we know, well, I recognise, from sitting on breakfast telly the day after Newcastle were bought out, being slightly worse aware. But that's because he's already a tune and, to be fair, a music legend as well. Uh, we love the energy he's put into this one. And we think this is the kind of tune you could get on early doors as people start coming in the stadium. Next up, it's Coldplay, yep. Another huge album out from them called Music of the Spheres. Has that tune, The Higher Power, which you'll have seen uh, in the International Space Station. Yep, played up there. And you've probably seen it from a couple of telly ads as well. Uh, we've picked this tune that they've done with BTS. It's called My Universe. But we think this tune has got a bit of pace about it and therefore it's pretty much a build-up banger. But what tune have we chosen this week as walkout worthy? Start a fire, it's this from Retro Video Club. It's called Boys Like Me. Now, this is the main edit, but of course, via Shoot Music, you can get the instrumental. And we think the start of this, plus the kick into the chorus, has just got something about it that says your team could walk out to this. They've just completed a superb run of festivals and headline shows. They had a sold-out show at Glasgow's 1300 capacity SWG3. And this is a skyrocketing uplift of a song, isn't it? Remember, you heard it here first. Retro Video Club, Boys Like Me. Walk out worthy as far as we're concerned. Like 
So remember, Shoot Music is the place to get loads of new releases plus loads of instrumental versions as well that might just work for your next stadium playlist. And on Twitter, they are at Sport Playlists as well for all the latest they've got on different clubs playlists, TV and radio playlists and the new releases as well. And we're massively thankful for them supporting the pod. Right, let's get back to our guest, Chris Temple of Wembley. So uh, I was just thinking, you know, you said about where you were sitting. This is slightly going to topic. I won't go too long. But you know, you said about how, where you were sitting in the Euro final. Why mm. have I got an image in my head that I remember thinking about and banking from the Euros where someone celebrated, someone jumped over the advertising hoarding or something happened and they jumped into a table where it looked like the announcer was sitting. There was definitely someone there or a couple of people at this table with a mic. I'm sure it was the Euros. And someone- It was. Was did I, I'm not remembering it, it correctly? You you haven't dreamt that, Rich. That was it, Budapest. Yes. Uh, it was the Hungarian announcer. Uh, Hungary scored a goal, and you're right. He went jumping over the boards and straight. He was like banging the table or something. Yes. And you're right that where that lady was sat, that was the standard position where we were right out of the way, pitch side, no view. And of course, once you sat down pitch side behind the advertising hoardings, and at Wembley, there's a slight slope that drops away down the tunnel. Honestly, we could honestly we couldn't see a thing. And I, I brought it up a couple of times. A couple of times I was standing up, and I was I got the broadcast manager came to tell me I was in camera shot so I had to sit down I even had when it was peeing down the rain I put an umbrella up I was told to take that down because it was in the camera shot Aww. and I was like well what do you want me to do here like I'm, t- I'm trying to see the game uh, we had a floor manager further along the touchline he wasn't allowed in the red zone or anywhere near the tunnel yeah. so trying to feed back subs um, you know was was a nightmare so I don't know how they chose the position but it was an absolutely dreadful one yeah. one probably one of the worst spots I've ever announced from well and and you know worse for that Hungarian one because I'm sure they broke the table I think did the table break or something yeah. Like that. yeah it was pretty aggressive celebration it's like, wasn't it's it watching, it's like watching yeah. WWE <laughs> and we had, you know, to be honest, and again, there's there's sort of a, a semi-serious part of that is that where our table was, you know, I don't know if you can visualise the sort of the corner tunnels at Wembley where the fans are sort of they can lean over the edge of that that sort of tunnel. Well, of course, in the final where there were way too many people in the stadium, which is obviously a whole a whole different talking point. Um, you know, there were people sort of spilling over the top of that. England scored after two minutes. We all, I had people nearly jumping on my shoulders. Um, and like, you know, probably getting pretty close to jumping and they could easily have grabbed the mic off me. You know, it, from a health and safety point of view, it, it really wasn't that comfortable in the final, I must say. Now, this is something we, and I was kind of aware of this because like we say in this one, this is, it's a slightly different situation here because it's not a club, because it's Wembley. Um, has it, a lot of our announcers talk about, you know, if they do it for a long time, you know, they get to know managers or, or players or, or people in around the game. Does, is, is that the same situation with you or is it different as to what, you know, the relationships you get with managers and players? It is pretty different. And of course, actually, for a lot of the time that we've been doing Wembley, and I say we, I sort of tag myself and Emma together in this, um, we haven't been anywhere near the red zone um, because it's all been shut off. So actually, that interaction that you would get with with players and managers and a little nod as you walk past or or whatever. And, you know, sometimes we get opportunities where, for example, Callum Wilson, Tyro Mings, I know them from their time at Bournemouth. So, you know, that's the kind of situation where you would, you know, you might be talking to them and they might be walking off with two other players who would just stop while you're talking to them and you might get to know the face. And so our, our normal position at Wembley is right behind the benches. There's a little sort of perspex desk. I don't know, if Al, if that's where you did it from when you were yeah. um, when you've been involved before but that basically is red zone now so we can't we don't get there um so we're up on sort of just above the disabled platform in the front row of the the sort of press box area but um 
it's 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 difficult, particularly at England level, because everyone is sort of a little bit shut off. They're, they're friendly, but there's not that interaction. I must say, if I stood in them, stood in the tunnel at Wembley, and you asked any England player who's that, they would have no idea that you know they wouldn't know that you were. They might know. They might recognise your face from being on the screen, but. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, it isn't the same really. Um, and I, I actually don't mind that, to be honest with you. I, I, I sort of, you know, I, I'm not one of those who craves the, you know, being friends with all the players and, and those kind of things. Um, but I guess that's the one thing that it is a bit of a shame. You, you work with the same people and that's nice. You get to know people like the groundsman and the steward on the on the tunnel and all those kind of people who, who do see you every time and probably would remember you. But um, in terms of players and managers, not so much, I would say. I had my, I had my first... Hello, mate. How are you? With Sam Johnston last week. Ooh, first one ever, and only because not not and, and I get, you know, you always think because we're standing right by the tunnel when they run out for the warm up when they come out when we introduce the teams and stuff. And I, I, I appreciate totally by then they are well in the zone. You know, they don't want a little chat with me about how the traffic was on the way into the game. But um, at the end of the game, I'd, I'd finished going around the suites. Uh, we take a couple of the ex players around the suites to sort of chat about the game afterwards. And I was coming just back down the steps, empty stadium, you know, people starting to sweep up and clear away. And I see someone walking across the pitch to come up towards the suites as I'm walking back down and I get closer. And it's Sam Johnston, who I've been, you know, recently banging on, on on Twitter about saying, you know, I'm really tempted that when we next announce him at the home games to say England's number one, not just West Brom's number one. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he played in the Andorra game, but then I think he didn't play in the game after. He didn't play in the actual qualifier game. So I sort of like that might have lost a shine a bit. But still, <laughs> just, just, it's just, yeah. have, you know, just having him there coming back down. Just literally, we didn't stop. It was like, hello, mate, how are you? You're right. And, you know, all you can say is well done tonight. He, he kept a clean sheet that night. So all good. Well done. And thanks very much. But, you know, that, that really is the extent I find these days of, of you know, being in touch with players, really. <laughs> He's, um, by the way, he's a really good lad as well, Sam. I mean, uh, obviously he was at United and I did, when he was younger, um, like 18, 19 younger, um, I did quite a lot of events with him and I was on one of the tours where he was sort of the backup keeper. He was a lovely young lad. He was uh, always very friendly and I think he um, I think he originates from around the Preston area, Rich. Mm. So, uh, you know, he's a decent lad, Sam, and he's... Uh, very, very nice lad, and it's never gone to his head. No, and I'll mention you say hello next time, which might buy me <laughs> an extra minute. Yeah, please do, please do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. that's one. That's one one player that will know me, you know, because <laughs> you know people always think we're mixing and socialising with the players, and it, yeah. and there's so there's such a fine line as as Chris has just said. Even when we're looking at the Premier League side of it, you know, and and at the moment at Old Trafford, I'm not allowed in the red zone, so I'm at the side of the away dugout, so there's no. There's no interaction, you know, whereas when there's a substitution being made, you might get a little bit at Old Trafford, you know, because I'm there at the dugout. But, yeah, do say hello to Sam. He's a good lad. Will do. Um, Chris, and and we also mentioned about sort of like the structure and and the production and everything that goes on behind this. You know, obviously, the the levels of people we speak to on this pod, sometimes the guy who announces the teams is the guy who puts together the, you know, the match day playlist building up and, and makes those calls as to what music goes on before the teams come out and all that kind of stuff. But are you a bit removed from that as well? Uh, yes, uh, to, I mean, in a short answer, yes, I am. Um, it, it's uh, again, it's been fascinating listening to you know the previous pods with, with guys who literally do it all, unlocking the stadium, mowing the pitch, you know, and then doing the announcements and the music and all sorts. And that's you know, for me as a lower league fan, my team are in League One, you know, that totally resonates with me in terms of that that sort of football at its core, if you like that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I guess fortunately for most people that come to the stadiums I work in, I'm not involved with the music um, or anything else. Um, you know, for example, even I'm just 
referring back to the Euros briefly without banging on about it all the time, but DJ Tony Perry, who was the guy who played Sweet Caroline, and that was his decision on a whim to play that. Those those playlists were all tightly um, issued by UEFA, a centralised playlist. Uh, Sweet Caroline was on it, but there was no edict to play it at that moment. That was just his choice. So um, when you've got a professional who knows you know, how to read the room and, and, and what to play when, and even at the final, you know, he played a song. I can't remember what it was. It might have been... Um, not Will Griggs on Fire song, but it was it was something similar. I can't remember now. It's, it's escaped me. But he played it at half time in extra time in the final, and I said, if, and it lifted the whole stadium because everything had gone flat. Just that song lifted the entire stadium. And I said to him, if we win this, it's you. I said you've won it for us with that song because the crowd went mad, and as the players came back out for the the second half of extra time, the whole place was bouncing. And unfortunately, when we lost, I said that was also you. That was a terrible choice of song. <laughs> but and, <laughs> to answer your question, it's it, we are totally removed yeah. from music. Um, we are we are a presenter on the end of an earpiece, um, an announcer next with a producer next to us. I don't make hardly any calls. I don't make any calls at Wembley in terms of what to do, when, really, because um, the, the FA do the running order and and everything else. Um, I, I will. Ch- I do chip in with things that um, I think sometimes, for example, even. Sometimes the way you do substitutions, it's a tiny little thing. But um, again, this is probably the right pod that people will understand what I'm saying is to timing the big screen graphics with when the player is coming off and waiting for the moment to announce the name the player steps on the pitch as the substitute replaced. Because you hear so many people go, coming off number nine, Alan Keegan, replaced by number 10, Rich Hurst. And the player coming off is still 30 yards from from reaching the touchline. So the moments, you've completely missed it, really. If it's an away player, fair enough. But if it's a home player that you want to generate a roar for or there's a notable moment you know um, that they're coming back from injury or something then you've got you need to time it you need to back time it that as they step on the pitch that's when they get the roar um so we you know we get a bit out of sync sometimes at Wembley with graphics and things because we're timed by or we're tied by how fast the graphics actually move through the system yeah. so the guy might press it at the right time but then by the time it's animated for 10 seconds you actually end up being sometimes two players behind if it's a triple substitution. So actually what we've done now is we've separated the graphics on the screen with my voice. So I vocalise it as it's happening, as we would all want it to do. So coming off number nine, Rich Hurst, pause, wait for him to applaud, walk over, walk over. Coming on number 19, Bukayo Saka, as he's coming onto the pitch. The graphics are catching up. They'll do their own thing, but no one's watching the graphics at that moment. Yeah. So oh. we decided the better thing to do for the, the the moment was to make sure the voice was was spot on. Yeah, this this this, this is nuance heaven, by the way. This is why <laughs> this is why we it's, did this pod because so, so I'm, I'm I'm exactly the same with with us. So with home substitutions, you make a big fuss. You know, generally about the player coming off, and let yeah. that let that reverberate, and then wait till they slap do the high tens. And, and announce them on, but bang on for the away teams, quick as possible. This one's coming. On. This one's coming. On. You sort yourself out, lads. Yeah. You might just give them time to say to chant "Who" the home fans to chant "Who" in the background. You might just give them enough time to do that. But also, but Blues Birmingham told us that you know he he purposely leaves that gap now since it started. Brilliant. It's also in terms of delivery. I find that really. I find it really interesting because sometimes I actually mess it up, and you'll. It, depending on where you put your inflection on the first, and again, we, we're so nuanced here, it's unbelievable. Where you put your inflection on the player coming off also can have an impact. Because if you say, if you're doing it as if you're going to do it in one sentence, but with a, a pause in the middle, then you, you sometimes can leave yourself hanging. If, and what I mean by that is that if you say, coming off number 10, Alan Keegan, and you go up at the end, and they take ages to come off, 
it sounds ridiculous because you've got a huge 30 second pause. Whereas if you say coming off number 10, Alan Keegan, full stop. Yeah. The next, almost the next half of it is almost a fresh start. So you're not let, you haven't left yourself hanging in the middle with that awkward upward inflection. So sometimes I hear myself do it and I'm like, why have you just done that? You've left yourself hanging now. Um, So now I'm really concentrated to make sure that you, you almost, you're almost compartmentalizing the same announcement. If they're coming off quickly, it doesn't matter. Coming off number nine, Rich Hurst. Replaced by number ten, Alan Keegan. Doesn't matter so much. There's a huge gap yeah. in the middle. I find it. I find it. I'm, I'm getting awkward myself, even if nobody yeah. else knows. Yeah, no, you do. Yeah, you're starting <laughs> to get that. We had we had perf- we had perfect storm at West Brom once. We had the times when um, we couldn't be as close to the fourth official as we were, as we normally were. There's a lot of people in the tunnel, so you couldn't really get to message out. You know, um, get through and ask the fourth who's on the card. But also, the boards had broken. The oh, no. boards are broken. So perfect storm. A, we can't see, because sometimes you get a glance of which number he's putting on the board. If you don't see the card, you can just see around which two numbers he's putting on, and you can normally work yeah. out from your team sheet by then. But we couldn't have that, and we didn't have the card from him. So it's the one and only time when I've done a substitution, when I've gone, substitution for West Brom, coming off. Oh, no. Number. <laughs> and it was like that, and you had to literally wait to see who started walking off. Oh, no, no. Horrendous. And with those West Brom shirt numbers, you probably didn't have a clue. That's anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but the, the five, and also the five subs, you know, with, with tri- the substitution windows, teams making triple subs at the same time. I mean, you'll have both had that. I mean, yeah. goodness me. That was, and you sometimes you've got no idea which one's coming first. No. You can see a couple of people loitering on the touchline. Oh, it's an absolute nightmare. You just, and, that, and that's where you sort of hold your breath and just say, right, get all the names right. Doesn't Sometimes it doesn't matter about the right order. Just get through the names. Don't make any mistakes and then just take a deep breath afterwards yeah you're right yeah. And, and and also what you were saying there about graphics as well i mean it's something we could probably or you know i think if we got everybody on who has to do it with a big screen you know i've had so many things before where a team read has taken like twice as long because i didn't realize we didn't realize who was waiting for who am i waiting for the screen and then reading or are they waiting for me and then moving on you know because we've had it a couple of times where we said right we've got you know we've got a, a minute silence to do before the game and there's a presentation and the ref needs to do this so we need to rattle through the team sheets and i'm always like no problem let's do it but then i'm there so i'm you know sam johnston comes up i say sam johnston and i'm like come on <laughs> number two darnell furlong and then and then i think right they're obviously waiting for me so i go number three connor townsend Furlong still up there. Furlong. <laughs> Townsend comes oh no! In. Because you, you know that's you know, and I think that's what that's one of our great moments we get, isn't it? It's it's announcing the home team, where mm. you know you have the crowd reaction, and you know especially early on in the lineup, you still like to milk it because for the first five or six, everyone goes bonkers. When you get into the number thirty-two, Alex Mauer, and he's last on the team sheet, you'll still get a cheer, but it's not as much. So you just want oh, to get poor that. Alex, I you feel bad for him. Momentum. He's been one of the best players this season as well. Um, just on the team sheet one quick richly there was one of the and again sorry back to the euros again um it was there was they had this team sheet they put up a one to 11 list or one to you know the 11 players on one list which we read before kickoff and basically half the players didn't have first names on there so for example it would have number one jordan pickford number two walker number three luke short number four rice which is fine if you the england team and no problem when you get into sort of austria or the czech republic you know i, I know I don't know how to pronounce the names, but if you take away some of the first names, I'm not going to be able to busk that. So we actually had the situation where they were trying to not print team sheets to save the environment. So there were no printed team sheets. 
uh, and also half the first names were missing off this graphic on the big screen. And you had no idea who was going to be missing either. They couldn't tell you in advance, oh, there's no first name for number six, number 14, or number 17. It was basically when it came up, you'd be like, okay, well, five of them haven't got first names. So I did at one point get to the stage where I was reading the team sheet live in the stadium off WhatsApp on my phone. <laughs> Which, I mean, for the Euros, doesn't really feel like that. that's good enough, really, no. to be honest with you. That feels no. like that's fraught with danger. Isn't that bonkers, yeah. isn't it? It doesn't matter what level we're at sometimes. We still have to go back to, you know, rely on that. That's bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's a question I've thought about, and it's only because, we, you know, we've talked so much about all the different things we see at different levels of ground. You know, League 2, League 1, where, like you say, it's your man who does the music, he does all that kind of stuff. Having now done it at Wembley, is there a bit of you that wants to do it at club level? To get those um, that little bit of movement, that little bit of you know destructure, as it were. Yeah, I, I do really see when I see club announcers doing it. Like you know, as you know, Rich, I've worked at Bournemouth for a long time now, twenty years. And Mike Botto, who you've had on this pod, who really enjoyed listening to that because a lot of what he said was so sort of resonated with me because I go to the ground every week and hear him doing his thing. Um, so yeah, when I see Mike doing his thing, and, and you see you guys, you know, obviously Alan watched you do it at United for years, and, and Rich, obviously, I I'm not sure I've actually ever been to West Bromwich uh, in recent oh. years when when I've seen you there, but I, it's one of, it's on my list of things to do. Um, and when you see you guys doing you know your own club thing, and you have that extra special relationship with the fans and as you said Rich you, you know, people that do it every single week and I was listening to your Palace one last week where they campaigned for him to come back and you you have that little bit of a, a relationship with um, with your supporters and, and you're right you, you probably do get to know the players a little bit and you know the, the intricacies of the club and you become part of the fabric of the club um, then yes there's there's definitely part of me that is, that is jealous of that I, w- I would love to have that I don't think you know being the voice of Wembley or whatever it is you, you get to call yourself when you do Wembley occasionally uh, is is absolutely fantastic, but no one's going to really, no one's really remembering you because so many different people come through the turnstiles at Wembley. It's, it's eighty thousand people, of which probably twenty thousand go to most games, and the rest are, are sort of day trippers or whatever. So you're not really building any relationship with individuals. Um, Social media-wise and things these days, maybe you, you might be, they might do a piece with you or something on the website, but that's probably the, the, the most you get. So, yeah, in a roundabout way of answering your question, I, I would, you know, and my team is actually Gillingham. I'm not afraid to, then I said, that's not a secret. My team is Gillingham. Um, you know, to get to, to go and do Gillingham one day would be absolutely fantastic. I would love it. Um, but they've got a top man there already. Oh, well, you know, one-offs, people have holidays and all that. That's it. Stuff, you know, that's it. Have you, have you ever t- had to take a game off? Uh, uh, actually, ironically, my first England game I've missed since taking the job was very recently the Andorra game, um, which was you know the first game back after the Euros. Yeah. So it would have been a, a I think that had been the big homecoming of the you know the European champions. That would have been a hugely disappointing one to miss, and obviously it was disappointing to miss anyway. Uh, but I was I was actually working in Tokyo in the summer, so I hadn't quite got back from Tokyo at the Paralympics before um before that game came around. So I did have to to miss one, and yeah, it's like everybody else when you step away from your job and somebody else comes in and does it, you're like they're going to be better than me they're definitely going to be better they're going to be younger better looking cooler and i'm out of a job well yeah that's the worry i I was especially worried about all of those all of those it's it's my it's my fiance's 40th birthday later on and it's a day of a home game and i'm gonna I'm, i'm i'm gonna miss it i'm gonna you know take it off but obviously i will have uh i'll either jump on iFollow to just to hear (laughs) <laughs> who it is or you know sometimes if you time it right when they go around the grounds on the radio it's whilst there's an announcement going on I'm like oh, just, just be quiet a minute please Alan Green whoever it is I'm trying to hear who's doing the I'm trying to hear who's doing that yeah I'll have to get on the quest and see if you know if they have goal announcements and see who it was yeah it's, it's a horrible feeling isn't it Al you got any time booked off coming up 
Well, actually, um, not sort of in the very near future, but um, next year, my daughter gets married. And uh, we, we've spoken about this before, Rich and I, Chris, because um, I've been the announcer at Old Trafford for, if you want to talk in seasons, 21 seasons, 2000 I started, and I've never missed a Premier League game. Um, and in fact, most of the other games I've never missed, apart from one friendly and around a pre-season friendly, I think it was about 2005. But uh, I've never missed a Premier League game. But yeah, she's getting married on a Saturday next year. So in the middle of June, I'll be looking at the fixture list <laughs> very, very carefully on that. But hey... If it happens, um, you know, we might be giving one of you guys a call. <laughs> I think the Premier League do take requests, don't they? You know how teams put in there, you know, oh, you can't have it that day because it's, you know, this festival is going on in the city. You can't have a home game. I think Alan Keegan's daughter's wedding would certainly qualify as one of those, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'll mention it to the club. I'll mention it to them. Yeah, it's had a good endorsement. Chris Temple said I should have mentioned it to you. Never like who? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, let's... Um... I want, I want to get on to just to, uh, to wrapping up now because there's been some great just insights into, you know, into what it's like doing it at that level. And obviously we know a lot of the guys listening will be making comparisons to how they're doing it at their club and how you know, it operates when you do it at Wembley, whether it's as the announcer, whether it's as a guest announcer when your team makes a final. Um, so, so what, you know, in your opinion, then makes a, makes a good stadium announcer, makes them, you know, makes them right for the job? I think well, there's a couple of things, a couple of big ingredients, Rich, really. I, th I think, first of all, one of the, the, the key parts of stadium announcing is you are holding that audience. You're attempting to hold that audience in a stadium. So you've got to have authority. You've got to know your subject. You've got to know your pronunciations. Um, you've got to know your delivery. Because the moment you start stumbling around, the moment you make a pause or something is when you can start to unravel your authority. And basically, when you're stadium announcing, everything you say, you've got to, people have got to feel like it's important for them to listen to it. Um, so you're not just round, and it's different. I, I'm sort of drawing everything together here because obviously these days, a lot of people are announcers and Envision presenters in the same stadium. And those roles aren't the same, actually, uh, in my view. When you're presenting that pre-show in a stadium, um, you, you f you're filling a couple of different roles. Once you get to game time, then you're the announcer, then then almost you, you've put a slightly different hat on, even though you're the same person, probably with the same microphone. Um, <clears throat> but if you're an announcer, you're simply a voice of God, you're out of vision, um, you are, everything you're saying needs to be important. So therefore, if you start, you know, if you suddenly stumble and say, oh, um, you know, make a pause in some sort of pronunciation straight away people think this guy i'm not sure this guy knows what he's doing and you're, you're sort of undermining your your role really you, it is the voice of god is the phrase that is used so often and you know you are up there somewhere and people need to be thinking oh if when this guy speaks i need to i need to be listening something something important coming here so that that's one part of it the authority you obviously have to have a bit of power in your voice um there's no doubt about that because Again, it varies from stadium to stadium. Um, some voices will work fine in a smaller stadium. Some voices that are absolutely fine in a smaller stadium won't carry a big stadium. You know, you hear Al's voice bounding around Old Trafford, you know, you know, carries the stadium unbelievably well. You put somebody of a similar, you know, similar experience, similar age, profile, everything else into that stadium on the same microphone, it, it probably just won't work. You have to have a certain tonality to your voice and a certain power in it as well, commanding that stadium. Um, the other things I think make a, a good announcer these days is knowing sometimes that less is often more as well. Mm. Um, you, you, you see so many people and I, you know, there's all this whipping up the crowd and it's all great, but sometimes some of the hardest stadium announcing to listen to is the incessant shouty 
over-enthusiastic stuff. Um, and again, that's where sometimes there's that difficult cross between being the, the presenter, where it might be part of your role to really be on screen and, and interacting with the crowd and the announcer where you're out of vision doing the rest of it. So concise, you know, um, powerful, because people zone out sometimes if it's all a bit, a bit painful to listen to. Um, and the last thing I would say is versatility, really, as well, because you'll find roles these days where you do need to be the presenter and the announcer. Um, and if you can be the presenter, it can sometimes be the difference between keeping your job and not keeping your job. Because if they say, right, we're putting a big screen in, uh, you're the announcer, but you can't, you're, you can't do on screen. You've never done on screen, then you, you might be gone. Um, and that, that's the way people are going, social media and things like that these days. Lots more pre-shows on social media, on club websites, channels. So I would say if you're, if you're looking <clears throat> to be an announcer, you probably want to think about these days looking to make sure you can present as well because so many places are now going that way. Rich, you do it. You present and announce. Um, you know, at Wembley, we present and we announce. Some screen stadiums don't have big screens, I know, Al, so there's no need for it. But um, that, that would be another thing that I would bear in mind yeah. is that the, the voice of God role in itself, just as an out-of-vision voice role, probably not is not being phased out, but I think it's moving towards being more of a fully interactive presenter. Yeah. When is that? When is that going to happen? Now, when is there going to be a big screen at Old Trafford? It's bonkers. Probably when they ex- extend the stadium, because obviously, as you know, screens use up seats, and United have the biggest capacity in in the country. So, I think if they extend the stadium, which there is talk of, um, I, I'd imagine that would fit into the planning. You know, um, for those of you who do know, <coughs> excuse me, Old Trafford, the the sort of south stand. There's a consideration because it's the only stand in the stadium that's not been extended. So uh, there are houses at the back of it, if you know the geography at Old Chafford. But I've seen a, a report there a couple of months ago during the summer that there was talks about that where they'd have to get designers. And I know they've got stadiums in America like this where they build over they build over properties and we've got a railway line and all this comes into it. So, um, But I'd imagine, Rich, that, that may be when it comes in. Obviously, when they bring in stuff like Soccer Aid and we've done charity games for the MU Foundation, they do put screens up and it's always good to work with the screens. And um, although it could be said I've got a face for radio, um, (laughs) I do quite enjoy it, you know, that interaction. And as you say, and it's great if you've got a co-host because you can, you're not going solos. You've got someone to bounce off. I did particularly enjoy that. You know, it was good to to do it on a few occasions. So it's something that I've enjoyed. And I think, um, as you say, that's great advice about the presenter role because it's becoming more and more important now. You know, you've got to be able to deliver it properly. You've got to be able to think on your feet. You've got someone in your ear talking to you while you're doing the announcement. And not a lot of people know that. And that's what makes the job a bit more difficult, you know, when you've got the producer or the floor manager saying, right, you know, you've got 10 seconds, go into the screen, blah, 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 wrap it up or whatever, you know. So, yeah, yeah it's a yeah. whole it's a whole new area that most football fans don't even consider, you know, they don't consider the rigidness that you've spoken about, Chris, you know, that, you know, you've got to do this at that time because you've got to hit that spot. You've got to go into the next link. You've gone into the visual, you're going into the walkout, the music, the performance. Yeah, there's a lot to it. And it is getting busier, isn't it? The higher the higher up you go, i.e. Wembley, it's you know, it's the ultimate gig. 
I think the other thing worth pointing out quickly, Rich, on this subject is that being a good TV presenter doesn't make you a good stadium presenter yeah. and being a good presenter doesn't make you a good announcer. So there are so many different facets. You, yes, you might be a good broadcaster, but there are so many different little nuances. Al's mentioned a couple there, but even just the way your voice carries, even the way you address the stadium. You know, we had some people, again, I won't say the tournament, but it was a, a global tournament held in this country who were recruited by an agency um, and they were recruited for the big screen presentation role, not as announcers um, for the pre-show uh, on a big screen in a stadium, but they'd never done it before. They were TV presenters and more than a couple of them didn't last halfway through the tournament because they just had no idea how to translate being a TV presenter, mm. speaking to a camera, but addressing people sat on their sofas at home to actually making it work in a stadium. So that is another thing I would bear in mind if you're you know, listening to this thinking, right, I'm, I want to make myself a presenter or an announcer. You know, it's one thing being a TV presenter, working to camera, having the confidence on camera, all those things, the staples, absolutely, yes, they're really important. Having the confidence, knowing your subject, all those kind of things. But actually, you know, get, get some experience as much as you can in terms of working in a stadium environment because they're honestly as you guys both know, there's nothing like it. You can't be replicated until you get out there pitch side and you start hearing your voice coming back and you see yourself on the screen or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It is completely unique. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Well, there you go. And, and on that, I'm going to begin then my business proposition for announcer school. So I'm going to go away and put that together. You've got yourself both lecturers jobs. Well done. Uh, <laughs> um, but we'll, uh, we'll wrap it all up. So Chris, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so glad we gra gra gradually, uh, finally uh, got you on to, uh, to chat about it all after your busy summer. No, it's been a real pleasure guys thank you and it's great to be able to talk in nuances because nobody else really understands do yeah, they yeah, yeah we could go we could go off be nuanced till the cows come home but there you go alan thank you very much good to see you mate yeah take care boys and uh, great to be with you both and thanks a lot rich and as always thanks chris it's been absolutely brilliant having you on nice one. cheers boys Right, and that's just about it for another episode of We Welcome Your Teams. Thanks to Chris Temple for taking us inside the life of the stadium announcer's job at Wembley. And as always, thanks to Alan Keegan for being co-host as well. We'll be back soon with our next episode and another announcer from one of the 92 clubs up and down the football pyramid. Uh, remember, if you keep an eye out for us on Twitter, we are at AnnouncersPod or on Instagram where we are we welcome your team's pod including the recent post i put on bragging about my team sheet origami anybody who hates fiddling with their a4 team sheet when they're trying to do the game and look at the subs check out a bit of their origami i'm sure everybody else does it but i've only just discovered it so i'm loving it it's all on the socials in the meantime stay well and we'll see you for the next episode of we welcome your teams